we want to be. What kind of humanity we wish to create amongst ourselves and how we want to create it. And it is that mutual constitution of the city and who we are and what we are that is something which is, I think, again, very important to reflect upon. This is The City, an hour dedicated to a critical discussion of urban issues. And welcome to the program here on CITR 101.9 FM, CITR.ca, and syndicated on CJSF 90.1 FM, and available as a podcast at thecityfm.org. I'm Andy Longhurst. Which metropolitan region is the best place to be a woman in Canada? On the program today, we're talking with the author of a recent report examining uh, the particularly important uh, dimension to social inequality, um, and one that is often under, over, uh, overlooked, and that's gender. We'll be discussing how Canada's 20 largest metropolitan areas compare. That's on the program. You're tuned into the city, an hour dedicated to critical urban discussions. Stay with us.
everyone, this is The City, and that's uh, Nadine Shaw's track, Runaway. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Andy Longhurst, and welcome to the program. On April 23rd, the Canadian Centre for, po- for Policy Alternatives released a new report, The Best and Worst Place, place to Be a Woman in Canada, an index of, general equal- of gender equality in Canada's 20 largest metropolitan areas. And today on the program, uh, we'll be discussing the findings with the author of this recent study, and Kate uh, McTur- uh, excuse me, Kate uh, McInturf is a senior researcher at the CCPA and director of their initiative on gender equality and public policy. And that uh, that initiative is called Making Women Count. She holds a PhD from the University of British Columbia, and I spoke with Kate McInturf by phone at her office in Ottawa. So I want to begin by asking you to provide an overview of the report and uh, give us a sense of some of the main findings. Sure. Um, So the report uh, is a a gender index based on um, international indexes of gender equality, which uh, were were constructed to compare one country to another. Um, In this report, what I do is is compare the 20 largest cities in Canada to one another. And I look at the gap between how men and women are faring in five different areas. And sorry about that technical glitch, uh, poor audio quality. We're going to try that one more time. Uh, bear with me again. This is Kate Mc, uh, McKin- McKinter, uh, excuse me, and uh, she is from the Canadian Centre for, for Policy Alternatives. And she's going to be discussing a recent report uh, from the Centre on gender equality and uh, Canada's 20 largest metropolitan uh, areas. So I want to begin by asking you to provide an overview of the report and uh, give us a sense of some of the main findings. Sure. Um, so the report uh, is a, a gender index based on um, international indexes of gender equality, which uh, co- were, were constructed to co- compare one country to another. Um, in this report, what I do is, is compare uh, the 20 largest cities in Canada to one another. And I look at the gap between how men and women are faring in five different areas. So uh, I look at health and education, where there's very little difference in, in terms of how men and women are, are uh, are faring, and then I look also at the area of leadership, where we see a much bigger gap between how men and women are doing, and at economic security and personal security, where we also see some gaps. Great. And can you speak more to how the index, um, how you constructed the index, and and the methodology for this study? Sure. Well, a big part of putting this together was looking at at kind of what the existing practices were in the international indexes and what some of the gaps had been in those. And one of the big gaps in the international indexes is that they don't include any kind of indicators related to violence against women, Uh, not because it's not important, but because uh, when you're comparing countries internationally, you you just can't get comparable data for every country involved. Um, So uh, my hope in this index was really to be able to include that uh, and make those comparisons uh, on the issue of violence against women as well as in some of the other areas that I mentioned. Um, The report also uh, measures the gap between how men and women are doing, so it doesn't look at overall well-being. 
uh, to give you an example of that, looking at salaries, um, the city where women earn the most doesn't receive the highest ranking for salary. It's the city where the gap between what men earn and what women earn is the smallest that receives the highest ranking in that area. Uh, and the reason that I did that is if I just measured the overall well-being, so overall incomes, for example, it would tend to reflect the general economy of the community rather than reflecting the level of inequality. And so I really wanted to get at that inequality rather than, you know, which cities in Canada were, say, doing very well economically and which were not, uh, which is important but was not the issue that I was trying to draw attention to. Can you run us through those specific measures or um, categories that you used as indicators? Sure. So in the area of economic well-being, I looked at uh, men and women's employment rates, so how many men and women have jobs. Um, I also was interested in how many have full-time jobs because that also has a, a really significant impact, obviously, on incomes if you're working part-time and, and women are three times as likely to work part-time nationally as are men. Um, then clearly your income is going to be lower and that's going to impact your, your quality of life overall. Uh, I looked at... Uh, employment earnings, so how much money men and women are bringing home from, from work, um, and I looked at poverty rates uh, within the economic uh, uh, section. Um, in education, I only looked at tertiary education, so only education after high school, simply because it's pretty clear that we reach parity below high school, and so it didn't seem important to, to uh, rehearse that. Uh, and so I was interested in how men and women were doing in terms of enrollment in any kind of post-high school uh, education or training. Um, and uh, in, in that area, we see men and women either having equal levels of enrollment or women actually uh, having higher levels of enrollment by 1% or 2% in university and college. The only place where the gap goes the other way is in trades and apprenticeships where men still outnumber women uh, 2 to 1 in most cities. Um, in the area of, of healthcare, I looked at life expectancy um, and uh, also a couple of qualitative measures, which um, are our government uh, uh, surveys. So, how many people rated their health as good or excellent? How many people felt they had high levels of stress in their life? And then I looked at access to uh, sexual reproductive health care. Um, in the area of personal security, this was the place where uh, it was the most difficult to find um, reasonably representative statistics. Um, there I looked at police reported rates of intimate partner violence, uh, sexual assault, and criminal harassment. Uh, and these are the three areas where uh, women are disproportionately uh, subject to those kinds of violence. Uh, not that men don't experience some of those forms of violence, uh, but they make up a much smaller percentage of the people who experience those forms of violence. Uh, in, in, and in looking at those statistics, the only statistics we have at the municipal level are police-reported crime rates. And we know from looking at the national level that uh, when we survey people directly and we just ask them, you know, have you experienced a sexual assault in the last five years, uh, that, um, you know, as, many, uh, as much as 90% of those crimes are never reported to the police. And so, unfortunately, we don't have any self-reported data at the municipal level, so I had to reply, uh, rely on the police reported data. But there, again, I thought it was important at least to include that um, because it gives 
a, a sense that this is a persistent problem and um, and it identifies at the very least what the, the rates are at, at, in terms of police reported violence. Um, in the area of leadership, I looked at, at two different uh, measures. One was uh, women's promotion into senior management. So that kind of gets at how women are faring in you know the latter parts of their careers. We know women are doing really well when it comes to going to university, but are they are they getting promoted into those into those senior roles? And I looked at the number of women in elected office at the municipal level. So uh, how many female council members and mayors do do we see at the municipal level compared to men? Uh, so those are the measures that I used in, in the index. Great. Can you explain and maybe highlight uh, some of the findings um, and, and specific cities um, that fared uh, well and, and did not uh, do so well um, on this, uh, in this study? Sure. Well, uh, the study only dealt with the 20 largest census metropolitan areas, so obviously it excludes smaller cities and rural areas. But of the cities I looked at, there were some regional patterns, um, particularly in Quebec. Uh, we saw the three cities from Quebec do very well, with Quebec City coming in first. Um, and in the area uh, in uh, Alberta, we saw the two cities uh, that were measured in Alberta, Edmonton and Calgary, coming in at the bottom of the list. So, um, so that that suggests that that uh, clearly some of the uh, public policy and economic trends that are happening regionally are really having an impact on women's well-being for the better or for worse. And I would say some of the reasons we can look to for those differences uh, in Quebec have to do with the way that that the Quebec government has really put some policies in place to try and help women and men balance work and family life. So in Quebec, uh, you have a subsidized childcare program, which makes childcare more accessible um, to people working in, in low and middle incomes. And uh, there's research that demonstrates that that has had a direct impact on women's employment levels. Um, it also, uh, I think, is having an impact on women's ability to go for those uh, more demanding jobs to move into those senior management positions because they're able to take the time uh, that's required to to hold those kinds of positions. Uh, so those have clearly had an, an impact on on how the, the the cities in Quebec are performing. Um, we also see in Quebec uh, provincial plans to address domestic violence and to address sexual assault, um, and that is not something that uh, that every province or territory has in Canada. And so I think that is contributing. Um, to lower than average rates of uh, at least police reported violence against women. Oh, please go ahead. Uh, in Alberta, I think some of the, the trends that have contributed to the, the poor performance for the cities in Alberta have to do in particular in the area of, of economic well-being with the fact that men and women in Alberta as everywhere tend to work in different industries. Um, the, the difference is that in Alberta, uh, the industry that women are most likely to work in is the service sector, uh, compared to, say, Ontario, where you have uh, the government investing in job growth in education and healthcare, which are also female-dominated industries, but they're better-paying female-dominated industries. So the concentration of women in the service sector and of men in, in higher-paying work in oil and gas uh, and the extractive industries um, has really exacerbated that that gap between men and, and women's uh, incomes. 
So uh, Montreal, Toronto, and Vancouver fall largely in the middle of the pack. Uh, can you uh, speak, uh, was there anything that came out of uh, the research in terms of uh, the three largest Canadian cities and why they um, performed the way that they did in the, in the, in the findings? Uh, you know, I think that the, for me, the picture that is, that we have of the three largest cities is, is really incomplete. Uh, you know, you, you see variations between the cities in terms of access to work, for example. Um, but, uh, I think it's hard to, to point to like a, a persistent trend that's reflected in all three cities. And, you know, what I would really love to see and, and what I'm hoping to be able to do uh, in the future um, with, with research following this is really to look at the differences between women. Uh, because when you're talking about these big cities, um, these are really large populations and uh, they're obviously uh, very you know, very different experiences depending on whether, say, you're an Aboriginal woman or a non-Aboriginal woman, a woman with disabilities or not, uh, a woman in a racialized group, a recent immigrant. You know, all of those factors make a big difference in how women experience um, uh, daily life. And and so um, I would say, you know, a part of, of the story of the three largest cities is really the story of, of what's missing um, simply because there there wasn't um, the data available to be able to provide that kind of cross-sectional analysis. Um, but I know from speaking with women's organizations and from looking at some of the differences between groups of women at the national level where we do have statistics, uh, those differences are important. Um, and uh, the more we know about them, uh, the better we can address some of the gaps uh, not only between men and women, but also between different groups of women. So Vancouver, since I'm calling from Vancouver, Vancouver falls mm -hmm. um, to be number 13 on the list. And I'm wondering if you can speak specifically to how Vancouver fared. Yeah, uh, Vancouver did very well in some areas. Um, they have uh, higher than average uh, levels of, of women in elected office um, and uh, slightly higher than average levels of, of women in, in senior management positions. So that's somewhere, uh, you know, where Vancouver's uh, done, done better overall uh, compared to the rest of the country. Um, uh, women in Vancouver also have the longest life expectancies of any of the 20 cities that I looked at. Um, so that's, I suppose, some good news for women in Vancouver. Um, and some of the areas where there's clearly uh, some more work to be done uh, have to do with uh, how women are doing uh, economically. So Vancouver has one of the biggest gaps in uh, employment incomes for men and women. Um, uh, so women in, in Vancouver earn 70% of what men earn. And uh, they, we also see that women have lower than, than average levels of full-time work, which obviously has an impact on, on the size of, of their paychecks. And so I think that's certainly an area where, uh, where you know, there's, there's room um, for progress uh, for Vancouver's women. Um, uh, as with every other city, levels of, of uh, police-reported uh, violence um, are still problematic. Um, the fact that they're slightly below average doesn't mean it's not uh, a cause for concern. And again, that the number of, of incidents of, of sexual assault and domestic violence recorded by the police represent just a fraction of the total level of, of those crimes being experienced by women in, in Vancouver. So there again, I would say um, an area uh, an area of work uh, for policymakers and, and, uh, and community organizations in the city.
So you're in Ottawa, and I'm curious um, mm-hmm. if you can speak to how Ottawa did and, and um, whether that uh, is consistent with your own uh, experience of, of Ottawa. Sure. Well, Ottawa, uh, women in Ottawa really benefit from the, the fact that we have a very large unionized public sector employer. The federal government obviously is one of our biggest employers in, in the Ottawa Gatineau region. And, um, and one of the results of, of having a, a public sector employer, a unionized employer, is that we have people in jobs where there are really proactive policies around pay equity, around employment, and around promotion. And the results of that are, are really clear in, in when we look at the, the statistics around women's incomes. Um, women in Ottawa have the highest incomes in the country, and they experience the smallest gap in, in pay. So the gap between men and women's paychecks is the smallest in the country here. Um, and we also have higher than average levels of, of women in, in senior management. So in that respect, um, I think uh, we're very fortunate and um, there are lessons to be learned from from the public sector as an employer. There's no reason why uh, private sector employers or indeed any employer can't put the same policies in place, uh, tracking you know, pay equity, tracking rates of promotion. Um, I think once we, we start, you know, keeping track of those those numbers, then it puts everyone in a position to make better decisions about how we're paying people and how we're valuing their work. Um, in terms of how that reflects my own experience, I don't work for the federal government, so um, so I'm not part of that that pool, um, which really is influencing how the, the numbers come out. Um, but certainly, I would say, you know, my own a lot of my own work has has focused on on the issue of, of violence against women, and um, one of the things I've been able to see up close in in Ottawa is uh, the struggle. Uh, with, uh, you know, women's organizations, police, um, community service providers, the city uh, uh, government, all kind of struggling to, um, first of all, you know, provide a, um, a healthy environment in which women who experience, for example, sexual assault can come forward to the police um, to provide services for those women but also to provide ways to track incidents of violence against women that um, go unreported. Um, so uh, there's a great initiative here in, in Ottawa um, that is also in, present in several other Canadian cities called I Holla Back. Uh, and this is a, a volunteer uh, organization. They uh, support a, a web platform that essentially is a map of the city. And anyone who experiences any kind of um, harassment on the street, um, you know, whether it's people calling out derogatory comments or uh, someone being threatened with uh, sexual assault, um, uh, someone feeling, you know, unsafe at a bus stop, uh, you can use your cell phone and and just text in the the story of, of what's happened to you. And then those stories get mapped out over, you know, the map of, of the city. And the result of this is that the the folks who run Hollaback noticed that a lot of these stories were clustering around um, public transit and and bus stops and and on buses in Ottawa, and so they brought that to our city councilor, to our to our transit committee, and to our our transit authority, and um, and the response is is that now you know we have they're engaged in a public education campaign, uh, OC Transpo, and our city council is really engaging with this issue and talking about this issue and and um, taking steps to make uh, public transit safer for women in Ottawa. 
so I would say, you know, one of the, the, the things from my own experience that, that really gives me hope is, is seeing these kinds of initiatives and seeing the kind of creativity um, uh, that's going into these and the energy and the positive results that, that come out of that. I have to ask as well, uh, which city or which uh, metro region uh, did the worst on, on this index and why? Edmonton came out last out of the 20 cities I looked at, and uh, the, the big contributing factor there uh, had to do with the gaps in employment levels and the pay gap in Edmonton. So uh, the overall gap between men's and women's paychecks in Edmonton was $21,000 a year. So men in Edmonton on average are making $21,000 a year more than women. Uh, now, part of that has to do with the difference between part-time and full-time work. But even if you compare what men make uh, working full-time full year and what women make working full-time full year, Edmonton t- still has a larger than average gap in pay. Um, and, and that's really, I would say, down to the fact that you have a very segregated um, a workforce. Uh, that is, men tend to work in, in the extractive industries. Women tend to work in the service industries. And that that segregation is further amplified by the fact that women are tending to work in a very low-paying female-dominated sector, which is the service sector. And you're not seeing the kinds of investments in job creation in health and education that you see, for example, in Ontario, which has created better-paying jobs in the sectors where women work. Edmonton also suffers from higher-than-average rates of police-reported violence, um, and so that, that contributed to their low score as well. I'm wondering if you can speak to the significance of um, local or municipal uh, versus provincial and federal policies and programs and how this had an effect on the overall numbers. Yeah, there's no question that municipal governments uh, aren't able to address all of all of these issues alone. This has to be a concerted effort at the municipal, provincial, and federal level. And I think uh, one of the clear uh, lessons for me out of this this research is that we really need to do a better job of providing platforms for the organizations that are working at the municipal level, uh, not only to talk to one another, so for municipalities to talk to each other, but also for those organizations to uh, be able to speak to policymakers at the provincial and federal level so that they can they can share what they're seeing, you know, the barriers that they see uh, in their communities every day, and as well to be able to share the kinds of solutions that they are finding are working within the communities that they serve so that at the provincial and federal level we can scale up those solutions, we can scale up the the projects that are working well, um, and everyone can benefit from them across the country. One of, I guess, one of the criticisms of this type of work could be, well, you know, I, you know, certain people experience cities differently. Well, maybe mm-hmm. um, it's 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 subjective or it's it's qualitatively different for different people. I'm wondering how you might respond to to a criticism of of this um, research where that that could be the case that that would be argued. It's it's absolutely true that this kind of research can't replace qualitative research. Uh, These kinds of uh, statistical indicators are really just uh, stand-ins for broader social and economic trends, and they they are never a replacement for the, the kind of qualitative research that gets at the dynamics 
that are in place that that impact women's lives. Um, you know, they the, this kind of research can't address, uh, as I said before, the the differences. For example, um, that Aboriginal and non-Aboriginal women experience the differences that women with disabilities and women without disabilities experience. And so, uh, what this kind of of index can do is is provide a snapshot. It's really, uh, I like to think of it as like the view uh, out of the plane window. Uh, you can see sort of the mountains and the valleys, but you really aren't uh, able to see what's happening on uh, on the forest floor. And uh, that's why it, it, it always has to be part of a bigger picture um, that includes that, that more uh, finely grained uh, qualitative research. I guess I want to also ask you if there were any um, important uh, local initiatives um, in cities. I know this was um, in every every city snapshot. There was a, mm -hmm. a featured um, or featured uh, local initiatives, and I'm wondering if you can you touched on a few, but um, maybe give us an idea of a few other ones that uh, you thought were notable that were working to address uh, some of these very issues. Sure. Well, uh, Vancouver has uh, a fantastic initiative, Women Transforming Cities, which organizes um, uh, seminars and provides support to women to um, really bring their voices to municipal debates and to uh, highlight the, the issues that they care about within um, civic life. Uh, and, and that kind of um, providing that kind of venue for women to talk about the, the issues that they care about is crucially important. Uh, um, you know, the, I think there's been a lot of debate around uh, or discussion around women in political uh, life. And, you know, we had a, a, a year where we had a number of, of women in, in positions as, as provincial premiers. Um, and so the question was, well, you know, have why don't more women run for office? You know, have we have, has the balance tipped now? Um, but I think, you know, if if we're looking for women to run for office, we we have to look at where those women are coming from, and where they're coming from, uh, often uh, as with anyone who ends up in political life, is from community organizing and and from community level uh, political engagement. And, and so I think it's organizations like Women Transforming Cities that, that really are providing the entry point for women to engage in political debates. Uh, they may or may not go on to, to want to do something as demanding as, as run for, for political office. But if we don't provide those kinds of venues, then, um, then we're not creating that pool of women who feel empowered and, and, and able to engage in, in civic life and engage in, in policymaking debates. Um, so I think those kinds of initiatives are really important, and and those those are um, uh, present in other major cities in in Canada as well. Um, Ottawa has a fantastic initiative, the the City for All Women initiative, that does similar kinds of work. Um, the Toronto Women's City Alliance does this work as well. Uh, so I think these kinds of of organizations, which really give women the opportunity to speak to policymakers and uh, to be part of the, the decisions that are happening around civic life in their own communities are, are crucially important. I have to ask, in, in BC, we have a, um, a female premier, and um, to what extent does it matter if there is a female premier, but things like um, uh, welfare and income and wages, especially at the, the low end, um, are, are actually, you know, those policies are, are, are not benefiting women or not advancing uh, women. 
despite the fact that there there is female leadership leadership and i'm just wondering uh to what extent we also need to to have a discussion and be mindful of that absolutely there there's no question that uh simply having uh women in elected office is not sufficient to make women's lives better um it is a piece of the picture and um, there's some very good research looking both in the Canadian context and in Australia where there's a similar parliamentary system that shows that the, the, the thing that really makes the difference in terms of producing better legislation and better public policy for women, for uh, uh, creating a more equal society for men and women, is the combination of having women in elected office and having a really vibrant women's movement um, within civil society. So, for example, there have been some very detailed studies of how particular pieces of legislation um, are successful or not, and what they're able to map is it's that collaboration between women in elected office and the women's organizations, the civil society organizations that have spent you know decades working on a particular issue and can bring that depth of knowledge, can bring their their insights to the legislative process and support um, the, 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 you know, the writing and passing of better, more effective legislation or policies uh, by the elected officials. So it's, it's really it's having uh, both of those pieces in place that seems to make the biggest difference in women's lives. So would it, would it be fair to say that strong uh, social movements and, and feminist organizations advocating and pushing for those changes uh, is, is certainly part of the story? Absolutely, and and that's been demonstrated across countries and over uh, you know studies that looked at at thirty thirty five years of of these kinds of legislative processes. I want to ask you if there were any surprises um, with the findings of this research and and your own knowledge of uh, these metropolitan regions and and uh, um, I guess just yeah I, again surprises that came out of this. Yeah, I think the biggest surprise for me was that, that the cities in Alberta did so poorly. Uh, I think, like most people, I'm aware that, you know, Alberta's economy is doing very well, and, and I imagine that that would translate into, you know, a, a lift to everyone's well-being across the board. Uh, so it was a bit of a surprise to see that, in fact, that... Um, the you know the the economic growth that Alberta is experiencing, the high levels of employment overall, were not translating into an equal level of benefit for everyone. It's certainly true that that you know women's paychecks on average are you know are higher than the national average in Alberta, but uh, the gap is as I said before the biggest in the in, of the 20 cities that I looked at. So I think that's a that that was a big surprise to me. But I, um, and I would imagine if it, it would be a, potentially a surprise to policymakers and and to community organizations in Alberta. Um, and I think it just it provides uh, a, a good uh, check on our perceptions and hopefully some direction in terms of uh, future public policy decisions about um, you know what kinds of steps need to be taken to ensure that that the that the rising economic tide it really is lifting all boats this may be a challenge to actually i mean how do you how do you tell this story and how do you research it but uh, just a comment on alberta is i mean part of alberta that i think many people sort of think the images it conjures up is sort of a uh a, maybe a masculine sort of resource extraction or extractive uh province where a lot of this is around trades or 
oil extraction. And I'm just wondering, you know, again, it's difficult to, to actually, how, well, how do you tell that story? How do you, how do you do research on that sort of ethos? Um, but I'm just wondering if there's, <laughs> if there's something there in terms of how that structures the labor market as well in that province. Yeah. I, I mean, the, the, it's very difficult to um, really track uh, uh, attitudes and shifts in attitudes, um, and um, and certainly uh, that 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 isn't. Um, I wasn't able to do that in this project. Um, that would require, you know, some really significant public opinion polling um, and focus groups and 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 sort of deeper qualitative um, uh, research. I think the thing that we can see from some of these statistics is, um, you know, the, I mean, the question that, that I've been asked repeatedly um, talking to folks uh, over the last week in, in Alberta is, you know, isn't this a matter of choice? Aren't women staying out of these, out of, out of work entirely or uh, choosing not to go into what we think of as very kind of masculine professions um, working in, in oil and gas. Um, and, you know, there is good research to demonstrate, A, that women are interested in those jobs um, and the barriers that they cite to being in the mining industry, for example, are exactly the same barriers that women in other professions cite. It's the lack of child care, um, the lack of, of, of sort of flexible work hours that would allow them to balance work and family life better. And in mining in particular, women cite the lack of, of women in senior management positions um, as a barrier to, to being able to engage in work that, that they want to engage in. Um, I think the other part of that story that, that at least can be uh, extrapolated from from the research um, that that I've done here is that if you look at uh, women in full time work and women with young children, what you see is that the majority of women in Alberta, as elsewhere, who have children under five are working. Um, I can't say whether that's by choice or by economic necessity, but I can say that's what they're choosing to. That's what they're doing. That's the behavior. Um, that we can see. And in fact, in families where you have, you know, mom and dad and a child under five, where dad is working, mom is more likely to work and she's more likely to work full time. So there again, that tells me that, um, that what people are actually doing, their behavior is is not at all the story that we're used to hearing, which is that if dad has a good job that pays well, mom will choose to stay home. That That is, in fact, not what, what the mothers of young children are, are doing in practice. So um, so I think that's those are the kinds of uh, um, stories that, that, that we can glean from some of this information, but, but there's, there's a lot more to the story. So what, what next with this, uh, this research and, and future directions um, to, to take this? Well, um, I'm hoping to be able to, to repeat the, the index um, over time so that we can see if there are changes. Um, and, and hopefully as better information, better data becomes available, um, I can enrich the, 
the um, the kind of statistical base that produces the index. But I'm also really hoping that it provides a platform for for that kind of qualitative research and that it provides a platform for communities and, and regions to have these conversations amongst themselves um, and to really engage with uh, the folks who are working at the local level about what they think um, are the policies that are working well, the programs that are working well, and what isn't working, um, so that we can have more informed policy making and more informed decision making. How would you characterize the response so far? And, and my question would be: Are policymakers taking? Do they take this this research seriously? Well. Um, I think it's it's too soon to to be able to to draw a line between this particular piece of research and and policy decisions. Mm-hmm. It certainly has has been very broadly covered in the press, which was uh, frankly a, a surprising for me. Um, uh, and I and I think um, again, as I say, that it, it makes me very hopeful that um, that because. So many people were seemed to be interested in in looking at the report and, and hearing about the report. That um, hopefully our, uh, it's a sign that our communities and our decision makers want to have a more thorough discussion about um, the kind of persistent inequalities that women still face in Canada. Um, and that's my greatest hope. And I and I and I certainly, um, you know, I don't think by any means that a, a single report is is the answer to all questions. Um, I really hope it's just it's just the beginning of that conversation. Well, Kate, thank you so much for your time and uh, giving us a really in-depth overview of this, uh, this research. My pleasure. Great. Thanks so much. Take care. Thanks. Bye-bye. Okay. Bye-bye.
And this is the city here on CITR 101.9 FM and syndicated on CJSF 90.1 FM. And uh, you heard a few tracks there. Uh, uh, at the top, after the interview, you heard from the Pack AD uh, with their recent album, Do Not Engage, and the track Big Shot. And uh, most recently, Lightning Dust, uh, their new album, Fantasy, uh, the track Fire Me Up. And uh, we're about at the end of the program. Uh, this is an hour dedicated to critical urban discussions. And you heard uh, today um, from uh, a Canadian Centre for Policy Alternatives researcher Kate McKinturf. And she was speaking on uh, a recent report out called The Best and Worst Place to Be a Woman in Canada, an index of gender equality in Canada's 20 largest metropolitan areas. And uh, if you missed any part of that uh, conversation, uh, you can certainly download it as a podcast at thecityfm.org. And uh, be sure to catch the program. Uh, We're live here uh, on Tuesdays on CITR at 5 p.m. and syndicated on CJSF Fridays at 10 a.m. And be sure to the... be sure to follow the program on Twitter with the handle the city underscore FM and on Facebook as well by searching uh, the city critical urban discussions. And again, you can find the, this program as a podcast at thecityfm.org. I'm Andy Longhurst. Uh, thank you so much for tuning in um, and uh, for uh, taking part in uh, in uh, in radio and uh, being um, being actively engaged in uh, this content. I think it's uh, pretty crucial stuff and pretty important. Um, And certainly uh, check out the website if uh, this uh, content interests you, because there's also uh, lots of uh, content around the Women Transforming uh, Cities uh, project that um, Kate made mention of. So again, check that out, the city fm.org. We're going to wrap up the hour with a track from... uh, Hot Panda, and uh, this is uh, coming at you from 101.9 FM CITR, streaming online at citr.ca, and syndicated Fridays 10 to 11 a.m. on CJSF 90.1 FM from uh, Burnaby Mountain. Thanks so much for tuning in. Have a fantastic week.